Good morning, afternoon, and evening, no matter where you happen to be in the world, watching live here on YouTube. Welcome to Model 3 Owners Club podcast, episode number one for March 10th, or May 10th, 2018. And uh, I'm your host, Trevor Page, founder of the Model 3 Owners Club, and uh, thanks for joining us this fine Thursday evening. We have some regular guests joining us this evening to talk all things Tesla and the Model 3. But uh, before we get into this, I just want to say a few words about this uh, new endeavor of ours. Uh, see, a few months ago, I uh, kind of put the Model 3 updates on hiatus because with, you know, deliveries beginning in the U.S. and owners doing videos, I kind of felt like, uh, you know, the updates had kind of run their course a little bit. So I took some time to think about uh, what I wanted to do and what direction we wanted to go with the channel going forward. Um, you know, because, you know, my wife and I are kind of waiting for a standard uh, Model 3, which is not supposed to be here until 2019. So I wasn't going to be uh, offering much in terms of video uh, and content about the car. You know, but after uh, meeting some great friends while on vacation who are actual owners of Model 3, I thought, well, there you go. There's my answer. So we're going to do a regular podcast. The idea is to do this every week, hopefully. <laughs> uh, if we have, uh, end up doing this maybe every two weeks, you'll understand why. And uh, the idea is to get them on the show and let them talk about their experiences so we can discuss all things Model 3 and Tesla happenings. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to some of our first guests. The uh, first guest that I have is uh, Michael Bodner. Michael, uh, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me, Trev. Okay. Uh, Mike, where are you from? South Florida. South Sitting Florida. in a Model 3 right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, how appropriate. That's wonderful. And uh, our next guest is uh, Michael, uh, Eric Camacho, and he is in Southern Florida as well, are you not? I certainly am. And uh, you just took delivery of your Model 3, what, uh, two weeks ago? Uh, it'll be two weeks ago tomorrow. Excellent. Good. And how you get along with it? I love it. You love it? <laughs> That's awesome. Great. Okay. Well, uh, our next guest is Ian Pavelko. And Ian is in Montreal. Say hi to the folks, uh, Ian. Bonjour tout le monde! Bienvenue à Montréal! And welcome to the Mad Cave. Oh, well, very good. And uh, Ian, you don't have a Model 3 yet. No, I would be uh, what you'd refer to as the skunk at the garden party here. I don't quite know how I made the list, but here I am faking it. So uh, hopefully um, I'll contribute something to the conversation. We're not quite sure what yet, but hey, isn't that part of fun? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> So I just want to say thanks for everybody for joining in, and uh, we're just kind of be a little bit loosey-goosey, I think, for the first episode, because, you know, we got to get our ears wet a little bit on this whole process. Uh, we've got some new software, so it's going to be a little weird at first. If we happen to drop out, oh, well, I apologize. We'll get this thing sorted out. So um, today, we just want to kind of get our feet wet a little bit and just kind of get some ideas of what uh, people are experiencing, and uh, we have some topics to talk about. So um, I think the first one I think that we need to discuss a little bit is the... Uh, the Tesla financial call that happened um, uh, last week. And there's some really interesting tidbits that come out in there because, you know, usually at the uh, financial calls, they're always the best place to really get um, juicy tidbits about what's going on with the Model 3 and the production and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, I don't think we really want to get into the financial aspect so much because that's not really my thing and probably not yours either. Uh, we're really more interested in what's going on with the Model 3. So, you know, some interesting numbers have come out. Of course, production is certainly starting to pick up. Uh, we're not at the 5,000 number again yet, but it is uh, certainly coming in soon. I think they've produced something like 2,270 at a sustained rate. Um, I'm sure they're well past that now. And uh, some other stuff that came about. I mean, uh, the other thing that that uh, that had come about some time was um, uh, Tesla or Elon's comments, of course, on Twitter in that CBS piece that they did with uh, Gail King where she talked about, uh, you know, the automation situation and Elon dropped some bombs on us. And of course, he said they reduced some of the automation. So as it turns out, um, one of the items that they had trouble with, of course, and you've probably seen this, was the um, what they call Flufferbot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was pretty epic. And uh, so as it turns out, what they were trying to automate was putting this uh, fiberglass blanket now, if you look at a Model S or a Model X, I don't know if you ever had. Have you have you ever seen the the tops of a of a battery pack on the on the Model X or the Model S? I have. Yeah, you have. Okay. Yeah. So they put this fiberglass mat on it, and Elon called it uh, fluff. Um, that's, and sorry about that, Ian. I'll I'll, I'll get you cut out. <laughs> I'll I'll fix up your your thing here in a second. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, what they were trying to do was was trying to automate this 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 
uh, picking up of this fiberglass mat and put it on top of the battery pack using a vision system. So as it turns out, I guess the robots weren't all that great at picking up soft things and hands were better at that. So uh, they took that robot out and they put people on the line. The other one too was uh, something about the battery pack. Oh, I know what it was. The front of the Model 3 battery pack has a plate, a blanking plate, where they put two of the high voltage lines for the front motor. Of course, you know, all-wheel drive not in production yet. Um, so they had the standard battery pack and they would cut out the hole and then they would put this blanking plate in. Well, it turns out they're not making the cars with all-wheel drive right now, so they eliminated that step and that cut out some of the some of the bottlenecks, of course, and the, and the issues with the um, um, with the modules were kind of sorted out too. So that really kind of opened things up at the Gigafactory. Um, what were the other things? You guys remember what they were talking about? Something about the paint shop too? I remember. Sure the Good. I was just gonna say, so back to the fluffer bow. One of the, I know not to go back, but real quick, one of the things that I thought was really interesting on that was that not only did Elon say hands would be better, but also the fact that he sits there and looks at it and says, do we even need this piece? Right. I thought it was pretty interesting. Don't, one, we're over-automating potentially, but we're over-automating something we might not even need. And I like the fact that he puts eyes on it. It's not, it's not just how do we do this better? Do we even need this? What, 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 do we, what does the car really need? I thought that was an interesting piece to that. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, so I think um, I think in some ways what was what's what's kind of been going on is that um, they had these grand plans of putting all the automation in as much as they could, and then just kind of you know taking the you know the, some of the teething problems they've been having. Um, but as it turns out, um, I think they went a little too overboard, and they had to back off a little bit because production is more important. It seems to me in some ways that Tesla might have been might have been better off um, doing, you know, maybe a pilot line. You know, well, they did say they did a pilot line, but I think in some ways it would have been better if they had, you know, two lines in parallel, one that was going to do the full automation and then work it out, and then one with kind of like more people. But I don't know. I'm you know, I'm not a production expert. I watch lots of YouTube videos, but, you know, what do you, what do, you do when you when you live in a shoe, right? Um, anything else on the financial call? Because... Well, I thought it was interesting. The uh, There was a point where the questions that were coming in from the investors – uh, you know, from Barclays and others were to the point where he was kind of getting tired of that line of questioning. And there was that YouTuber, uh, was it Galileo Russell, yeah. uh, who decided right. to chime in and he was just like firing away with question after question after question. And Elon was like, he had his entire attention and it was like, all right, we're going to, we're going to focus mm -hmm. on this because talk about the science of EVs, talk about the charging infrastructure, talk about the future of Tesla. Uh, not so much from a numbers perspective, but more just in terms of an operational perspective, uh, really sort of shifted the tone of that call and a lot of writers focused on that um, but I thought it was great to hear someone so young and so invigorated about what Tesla's doing just be like just bring me more information it kind of you know thrust all that at us and and see what we what we have coming forward yeah yeah Ian any, <coughs> thought, any thoughts on uh, on the financial call well, I agree 100% with Eric I mean uh, there's been a huge fallout both ways there's a lot of people I think mostly like us that would be excited by the fact that uh, Galileo got in so many good questions and sort of shifted the whole tone of the call. Um, you know, it's the first time that the little retail investors like us sort of had any sort of voice at all because apparently he'd crowdsourced a lot of the questions. They weren't just his. If I understand correctly, he was pulling in all kinds of stuff from people who follow him, et cetera. So it was nice to see sort of a good mix of uh, people's interests uh, represented in his call. Of course, the flip side of that was Elon took a lot of heat for uh, for shutting down, you know, the, the, the traditional guys who were, let's face it, trying to poke some holes. I mean, as soon as you saw them go down the line of, well, how many orders are there right now that are, you know, how many of the reservations are still sticking? You know where they're going with that. And I think he smelled that right away. And, you know, that's that's why he shut him down. So, you know, was he right to just sort of hang up the phone on him? Well, a little bit of politics involved in that. But overall, I mean, um, I get where he's coming from. When, when you look at, like, the enormous amount of hate this company generates from all of the, the vested interests, the powers that be that are against it, you can kind of see where you're going to develop a little bit of thin skin. I think he's just kind of reached a point where it's like, it's enough. You know, you guys are constantly trying to stick a screwdriver in the door here to pry something out that isn't there or massively exaggerate it. And uh, I, I, I kind of get that. So, you know, you could debate endlessly on whether how he executed it was right or wrong. But, um, you know, 
maybe I'm being too much of a fanboy, but I, I totally get why he wanted to do that. And I really liked Galileo's line of questions. And I think it was a hell of a lot more informative for the average person. And I, and I think was that there was the, the focus on autopilot uh, and the news has been on all the crashes that have happened and whether or not autopilot was engaged and whether it was part of the accident and that sort of thing. And certainly with the number of Tesla vehicles in the market and because of how much in the news Tesla is, you know, a lot of folks try to focus on that some form or fashion. To me, what was interesting about the call was noting that they're going to start reporting their crash statistics regarding autopilot publicly um, yeah. make those records known to everybody and then update it every quarter. Now, is that going to change perception out of the gate? Maybe not. Um, but at least saying we're going to make that public record and allow you to then see for yourselves the data we're providing to, you know, National Highway Safety Board or anybody else, like that's that's important, I think, uh, to start talking about that. Yeah, I think some of my takeaways from the whole situation was, you know, Elon will tolerate financial questions because you know he understands finance but it's not his his thing he likes engineering and i could tell when he went to uh galileo's questions that he you could almost see his face light up it's like oh wow some great questions you know what i mean that's kind of my takeaway that i got from his his um uh his comments um the other thing too is i think in a lot of ways i really think tesla needs a coo you know, you know, like SpaceX, where they have a Gwyn Shotwell kind of running the business, and and Elon is in the back doing engineering, and technology and forward thinking and all that other stuff. And it just seems to me that, uh, you know, Tesla could be, it could better use Elon's resources if they were to free him up to do what he's best at, and let somebody else be more of the front person. Um, I don't know. That's just kind of my thinking. Any anybody want to chime in on that? Well, if you look at a company like Apple when they had Steve Jobs and obviously with Tim Cook behind him as a COO, I think that's a really, really valid point. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of I kind of agree. In a lot of ways, you know, it, it, Steve really was, you know, the voice of, of Apple. The difference, though, of course, is that, you know, Steve uh, had the charisma and the speaking abilities to get up in front of a crowd, something that Elon has charisma in his own way, uh, but as public speaking even though it has been getting better, you can tell that, you know, his mind is about, you know, three miles down the road ahead of his mouth. So he struggles a little bit. So I don't know. I mean, there's something nice about the fact that, that Elon gets up and he's very off the cuff. I, I, re I really appreciate that. Um, but I'm just thinking from a day-to-day -day routine, I think um, I think it would be better off for him to be, you know, relieved of, of some of the day-to-day -day stuff. Uh, he's, he's, I mean, I don't know how the heck he, he gets things done with, uh, you know, the kind of hours that he works and stuff. So anyhow, um, anything else we want to add? But maybe we can get on to the... Uh, yeah, the, I think the production numbers, uh, one of the big takeaways, and I might be misquoting it, so hopefully one of you caught the number better, um, but I had noted that the battery packs used to take seven hours per pack about three weeks ago, and now they're down to 17 minutes. I hope I heard that correctly, but that is a huge improvement it is um, along the way toward 3,000 cars a week and then eventually up to 5,000 yeah I agree yeah that's a huge huge difference for them to get uh, the production run so you know a lot of people were saying you know that Tesla would never be able to meet their production goals and here we are um, you know yeah they're a little late and they're behind but there's no doubt in my mind that they will certainly reach you know the 5,000 goal within a, a handful of months I think the 10,000 goal though on the other hand is going to take some time because they're going to have to build another line I don't think the current line is capable of 10,000 at this point so we'll see what that happens um, anything else before we move on to the next piece of uh, news well, okay. just there's there's uh, I was just going to mention re the five thousand per month. Um, there was something that came out just this week, wasn't there? That someone had gotten a hold of some letter that had gone out to the vendors, and uh, they were like back and forth, some sort of a conversation that confirmed that they were all being asked to make sure they provide at least five thousand per week uh, volumes into the factory for July. So that seemed to track with this is actually going to happen. That's that's about the only thing I could add to it. That seems to to be encouraging at this point. Yeah, I think we. I had a conversation on another podcast last night, and it was kind of brought up. And I think part of the uh, the situation is Tesla has has not been managing their supply chain all that well. Uh, so what they have is too many suppliers doing sub 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 sub, and 
I made a comment that I thought it was more like the aerospace industry. And that's kind of like, you know, the cost plus situation all the time. There's just too many. So he said they were going to scrape off the barnacles because the barnacles have barnacles. So, uh, yeah, there's going to be some shakeups and some reorganization at Tesla. They did say that, I think, in the investor letter that they were going to do some reorganization. So I think that's part of it. So. Anyhow, I think we should move on to uh, the other bit of news. We're going to kind of do these in random order. Um, I want to talk about the situation about people make a, a big deal about, you know, the panel gap situation. Um, you know, I, I've seen some early Model 3s and I've seen some recent Model 3s, and there's been a distinct improvement in um, the fit and finish on the car. And that's for sure. Uh, now, no car is perfect, um, you know, even... <laughs> You know, uh, other manufacturers, of course, there's no such thing as a perfect car. I think too much noise is, is spent on, on Tesla's panel gap situation. However, there are a few little things that have been coming up. One of them is um, this um, this concept of, well, not concept, but some observations that, particularly with the white cars, uh, we're seeing some discoloration on the rear bumpers. Now, honestly, um, I haven't really looked at them all that close, but there's been a lot of pictures, and sometimes it's maybe a little trick of the eye, but it seems like, some of them are exhibiting some premature yellowing. Um, any thoughts on that? Well, <clears throat> oh, I was just going to say, so my wife drives a white car, different manufacturer, doesn't matter which one, but she's got that effect. Uh, same on the rear bumper. You see it in certain lights. Um, you know, I, I don't know, but just for people who are closer to the car industry or, or in paint can probably speak to it a little better than I, but it's definitely something I've seen. Not that that makes it right. Um, Trev, I would ask you, White Knight, even though this is a Model 3 show or a Model 3 focus show, how's White Knight? Um, my White Knight is doing very well. I did have some uh, early issues when I first took delivery of the car. They were all fixed under warranty. It was, it was you know, Tesla bent over backwards. Um, my passenger side door was the worst affected. Um, don't forget, I took delivery of my car just before there were a really cold... Uh, snap that we had here in Canada. It was like the coldest I can remember in a long, long time. And uh, the window regulator had failed. So at one point when the window went down, it would only come halfway up and it would not come up any further. And we had to yank it up. And then a subsequent time we rolled the window down, it went all the way down and stayed down. And I could not get it to come up no matter what I did. So we made an appointment with Tesla very next day. They took it in, they fixed the problem. And then the very next day, um, you know, when you open the door, it does that little half-inch drop just to clear the trim. And it, and it stayed there. It would not come back up. So I went back in the next day, and they fixed that again. And then we were having some problems, of course, with the actuator on the door. On the Model X, the front doors are, are motorized as well. And on the passenger side, um, the door would, would open, but sometimes it wouldn't close um, all the way. Like, you could close it, and it would, it would do the catch and pull it in. So anyways, they changed that regulator. And uh, not the regulator, the actuator, which is the little bit that moves the door in and out. And then I had a door seal on the passenger side that uh, that was came unstuck on the bottom. They use automotive tape. Um, but other than that, th those are the main issues, um, and they've, they've fixed all that stuff. I did notice a little something a couple weeks ago, and I haven't brought it in for an appointment, but under certain lighting conditions, um, there's a scratch in my windshield, a little like a half moon in the opposite direction. Like, you know, the windshield wipers go like this, but I have a scratch that goes like this. So it's not a windshield wiper, and I've touched it, and I can't feel it on the inside or the outside. It's almost like it's inside the glass. Now, it's only when the bright light is shining on it, uh, so it's not that big of a deal, but I know where it is. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so It will slowly drive you mad. Yeah, so I talked to the service yeah. advisor, and he said, well, the next time you bring it in, we'll take a look at it. If we have to, we'll, we'll change the windshield. So whatever. But other than that, no, the car's been solid. I haven't had any issues. Got, you know, nice software updates, and, you know, things are improving that ways. Um, mm -hmm. So let's segue into that. So um, how about you, uh, Eric and Mike? Uh, maybe we'll start with Mike, because uh, you have a little bit more recent experience with some issues. Why don't you tell us uh, uh, what your experience with your Model 3 has been like? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so Trev was actually with me, did the uh, video of my delivery of my car, which is fantastic. It's uh, 5,000s VIN, so still pretty early. Exterior on the car was seemingly flawless, um, no gap issues whatsoever. Had a couple of spots in the paint that weren't perfect. Drove the car for two months before even bringing it up to uh, my service advisor. And never for a second did they question uh, something you did, something you touched the car with. They took care of everything. 
My tint shop scratched the chrome trimmer on the window. I asked for a quote on it, telling them that my tin shop scratched it. They said, please, don't worry about it. We'll take care of that, too. Amazing customer service. Um, on the inside of the car, I had a couple of, uh, uh, I had the, the A-pillar bulge, which is the thread on the forum. Uh, seems about 75% of people so far replying to my poll have had this. Nothing major at all. You notice it because there's a black line around the windshield that kind of covers up the internal bits behind it. So it gives you a good gauge that it's not perfectly straight. Um, they replaced that. I got the car back today. So I feel like I, the car was delivered to me again today after being away for four days with a little bit of paintwork and trim pieces. I couldn't be happier. But just a couple of service items, like I mentioned, including things that I shouldn't have even that I should have had to pay for. And uh, just the bend over backwards, got a Model S85 loaner. Uh, autopilot, the works, everything I needed. It was just fantastic experience. Yeah, my experience with Tesla has always been uh, exemplary. Their service has just been like they bend over backwards. They never question anything. It's like, yes, sir, we'll take a look at it. Or, you know, it's not really critical right now. We don't have enough time. But the next time we come in, we'll definitely take care of it. They get a really good list. And it's uh, quite a bit different from my experience in the past with other manufacturers. Like my last car was a Ford. And every time I took it in for service, it was like you're talking to a desk person. And then, oh, we'll, we'll pass the information into the back. And, you know, half the time, you know, the mechanic didn't do something right or wasn't fixed properly. My experience with Tesla has been when I bring the car in, um, it's always been two, maybe three technicians. They come up and they talk to you. And in every case, it's always the technician that actually does the work. So I found that to be uh, very nice. That was that was pretty cool. I was always blown away. And they always, you know, went over backwards for me. Um, Eric, uh, any issues with your car? So I <laughs> I've only been driving the car now for uh, like two weeks tomorrow, and um, I haven't I haven't really like kind of sat down and like looked at every little inch of my car. Um, but from from just clear observation, uh, the gaps look pretty clean. Um, if there is you know the smallest of of discrepancies from one side to the other, you really can't tell by the naked eye. You would really need to kind of measure it out with some special caliper. Um, but what I did notice yesterday. Um, is in looking at my trunk, um, it appears that the driver's side between the taillight and the trunk is not as flush as you would like it to be versus the passenger side. Um, and it's like, it's a, it's a clear, tangible discrepancy. Um, so I might want to get that taken in to kind of have them take a look at it. Um, but otherwise, the car looks perfect. Um, even the interior, everything looks nice and clean. Um, nothing appears to be loose. Uh, I'm, I certainly haven't noticed the A-pillar issue that Michael just referenced. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, I, and my, my VIN is just below 13,000. Uh, so obviously there's no knowing what the exact number of vehicles that were made between Michael's VIN and mine, but, you know, assuming there's been at least six to 7,000 VINs in between them, you know, then that's, uh, you know, it's a pretty good improvement from then till now. It'll be quite interesting to see what happens because we're starting to see VINs in the 39,000s now, I think something like that. I know some of the ones that are coming here to Toronto are, uh, 29,000, somewhere in there. So they've uh, they've been increasing. Um, just a quick question: How about you, Ian? I know you don't have a Model Three, but you do have a Chevy Volt. I do. And what year is it? And have you had any issues and stuff that you want to talk about? Seeing that it's an EV as well, so let's compare notes. Um, well, the Volt's been an interesting experience for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, it's my first American car. I mean, in 35, 37 years of driving, whatever it is, yeah, I've never actually owned an American car. They've all been what, about a dozen German and maybe two Japanese. So, uh, you know, I, not that I actively didn't want one. It's just they never quite made the car that I wanted or whatever all else. So there was this curiosity when I got it. Okay, what is this going to be like? And it wasn't even a planned purchase. I mean, this is something that re replaced my Audi A4 that got destroyed. Um, it got rear-ended on the highway last year in, in, a, in a pretty serious accident. And um, I had actually talked my girlfriend Brigitte into one. I said, look, you're not ready to commit to EV. I got the solution for you. You know, this will get you to work and back. And if all hell breaks loose and you can't charge, it'll just switch to gas, which she loved. So, okay. So it, what happens when we lost the Audi, we said, well, look, we need something to get us to the, to the Tesla. So I'll pick up one of these. And then when the Tesla comes in, it'll become your car. Great. So I figured, okay, as long as I can tolerate driving it, you know, I'll be fine. And I've actually rather enjoyed the experience. I'm, I'm blown away at how solid it is. It, it is tighter and has fewer rattles than my A4 did, which was absolutely remarkable. Um, the quality of the interior 
is not the same. I mean, it's the plastics are much more basic, and uh, it looks a little bit 2008 iPod is how I would describe the interior design. I have a Generation 1, so anybody who's seen one knows what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of dig it because, you know, I'm a little bit retro nerdy, but um, it might not be everybody's cup of tea. As far as the exterior panels go... Um, they're solid, but the way the car is, the, the way the panels connect is not like super, super tight. Like I've had to take the rear taillights out to get rid of a condensation issue. And I found that when you reassemble it, everything is just kind of approximate. And the way the bumper clips into the metal panels and so on is nothing is exactly right. But if you look at the panel gaps, the doors, the hinges, all that sort of stuff, like no, no issues with it. Um, overall, the reliability of the car has been astonishing. It only had one issue, which was about two weeks after I picked it up. Um, was it got this famous, uh, what they call the buzz saw. It sounds like a radial saw being shut off where it, when you decelerate, it would load up the thrust bearing on one of the generator motors and you hear this really annoying as it came to a stop and like, what the hell is that? So um, being that the car, the, all of the powertrain, the electric powertrain stuff is warrantied eight years, it wasn't a problem. It went back to GM and they replaced it under warranty. It's, it's just a little, it's a $90 bearing apparently on uh, on one of the uh, electric motors and that cleared up. But that's that's been the only issue with the car. And I mean, I beat the living hell out of this car. I've laid rally routes in it. You know, I drive it summer, winter, and I, I drive it like I stole it. You know, it's like I'm used to a 300 horsepower rate so this thing is just constantly foot to the floor and i haven't been able to do a damn thing to it so yeah it's it's been a great little car i for somebody who wants an in-between solution uh, a second car a backup car or you're just not fully ready committed to the whole 100 ev experience yeah uh, I'd, I'd say go for it and i would think now uh, what i'm been telling people in canada is if you're shopping for any other ev like a, a volt or, or hybrid i think there's going to be tons of them coming out on the used market now with the influx of people driving them like myself who are flipping the Model 3s. So mm-hmm. it's a good chance for anybody who needs a second, third car, whatever of that type. Yeah, the other thing too is I want to mention, and before I, before I get back on something else here that you mentioned, um, you know, we're going to start seeing a lot of uh, 2014, 2015 cars, Model S is coming off lease. So if anybody's looking for a car, maybe not be ready or whatever, um, there's going to be some 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 probably some good deals on some CPOs out there. I I just want to go back on one thing that you mentioned. Uh, You mentioned the word condensation. Um, I want to talk to the the two Model 3 owners and get your opinion or situation with your cars. Have you noticed any condensation in any of the lights? Because on my Model X, and it seems to be a, a, a common thing on Tesla's, I've seen it on Model S, I've seen it on Model X, even mine. When I wash the car, there's always a little bit of condensation in the bottom. Like, not like water accumulation, but it's condensation on the interior lenses. Um, and in direct sunlight, after a while, it just kind of burns off. So it's I don't know if it's if they're not sealing them or not 100% sealed, or maybe they've got some kind of vent or whatever to let the condensation out. But it seems to be a constant problem. Um, so what about uh, Mike and Eric? Any comments on that on your cars? Have you noticed this? Well, Mike, I'll let you go first since you've had your car longer. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, I'm happy to report that I wash the car literally every single week and do in-between cleanings as well. I can't can't <laughs> stop. Um, I've seen no condensation in the lights. I even uh, did a 450-mile round trip, so let's say 200 miles coming home, a road trip with a lot of rain most of the way. No condensation at all in the lights. I was really happy about that. And and just not that you asked about condensation inside, any issues with inside the car, seals, perfect. No noise, uh, no water getting in, really just solid. Everything's really tight and no issues at all. Good. Glad yeah, I'm going to say the same thing. It's It's been, it's, it's definitely a very sound uh, vehicle, both inside and out. Um, you know, for us being here in South Florida, we're used to a very humid climate. And there are many a mornings where I'll go out to my car and there's just condensation all over the exterior of the vehicle. Um, so much so that there are days where I just sit in the driver's seat and the wipers just start going on because they're trying to clear the condensation off the car because it's rain sensors. Um, and I, I haven't noticed a single droplet at all, uh, either in the lamps, um, in the car, I'm just nowhere. It's It's perfect inside and out. Oh, good. Glad to um, hear that. On panel gaps, it's a really funny thing. Uh, I've been on car forums for a long time. Actually, I had an Audi A4 as well, like like Ian had. And um, never, ever did I see conversations about panel gaps until I joined the Tesla forums uh, just a little <laughs> over two years ago. And, yeah. and then I became keenly aware of the fact that other cars have them too. Um, <laughs> not to minimize the fact that I've seen Teslas with panel gaps, but uh, just a quick anecdotal story. My mother 
I uh, just traded in a Range Rover. It was about four years old, ready for a trade-in. Um, and I was helping her take some things out of the car. And I looked at it. I said, wow, I never noticed this before. But because uh, now my, I've been brainwashed to look at panel gaps, her back door, the chrome window trim, was about a half inch off from the body panel. I mean, really bad. She had the car for four years. I never noticed it until the day she was getting rid of it. But uh, now I drive around and I look at every car's panel gap. So I don't know why that's <laughs> happened. But I see them everywhere. Yeah, it's well, funny. I, I had the same thing on my Lincoln. I mean, you know, the, the panel gap on the hood was was particularly interesting because um, right where the hinge is, and you, know, you get, you know, the standard quarter inch, but then you got right down to the ends and it was on both sides. And literally both metal of the of the hood and the fender were almost touching, not to the point where the paint was rubbing off. But I thought, you know, something's a little off there. It sounds like Ian, you wanted to say something. I was just going to say this, you know, speaks to the mania of any everywhere you turn, somebody's always trying to get an angle on what's wrong with Tesla. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's like they all catch fire or autopilot will kill us or, you know, now it's it's panel gap gate. I mean, it's like the thing of the week. It just it it boggles my mind. Yeah, but, it just never know, ends. Yeah, that's it. It's it's just media because it's like to everyone's point, we all have stories about different cars we've owned or have seen on the street today that have the same gaps or worse in some cases. And it, it's not an issue because there's hundreds of thousands of them. And hey, they're not a story. Tesla always is, you know, anything for clickbait. Yeah, I, I sort of I sort of theorize that the reason behind it is people tend to be fearful of the things that they don't yet understand. And so just like when I was a kid in school being bullied by kids who sort of felt like I was uh, superior to them, they wanted to try to bring me down to their levels. They found ways to sort of create that control. And and so when, when you have that as your kind of your M.O. Uh, and other folks seem to look at Tesla and go, wow, they're really doing something. Let's try to find a way to make them even with everybody else. Uh, that's where stuff comes out. And even like the tiniest little thing, like condensation in a lamp, uh, can become a bigger story than what it actually is. Just because, again, it's 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 the elephant in the room, and people wanna people wanna knock it down. Well, yep. as they say, clickbait sells, right? <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's time to move on to the next one. I think it's a pretty good segue. Um, uh, you know, the uh, Monroe Associates, if you guys watch the AutoLine uh, YouTube channel once in a while, um, they get uh, Sandy Monroe comes on and uh, his company is Monroe Associates and they do these teardowns of competitive cars and they sell the information to competitors. And I remember watching, I think it was a couple of years ago, they did the teardown of the uh, BMW i3. And uh, there's a lot of really interesting technology and information in that. But, um, of course, he got um, a hold of a Model 3. And it was an earlier model, of course. And, of course, uh, one of the earlier videos that they did, he kind of trashed it a little bit. But he, in the intermediary time, they've had a chance to actually do the teardown of the car. And there's some interesting tidbits that basically come out of this. Basically, in a nutshell, Sandys was saying that everything below the floor pan, meaning battery pack, drivetrain, electronics, autopilot, the, the tech was just like top-notch. He says, you know, if the... Yeah, exactly. And uh, the other thing that he said that, that Tesla was really still suffering from is what he calls the dinosaur tech, which is, you know, kind of the bodies, building the bodies. Um, and in some ways, I kind of agree. Um, but by the same token, my opinion is that, you know, Tesla's only been making cars for like, what, five years now? Think about it. Um, and look how far they've come in five years. So I think, you know, the dinosaur tech thing is a solvable problem. Um, in the next five or six years, I, I, I would say that, you know, Tesla's body construction would be just as good as any of the Japanese or German manufacturers. That's just kind of my opinion. Anyways, any, any thoughts on that, guys? Well, I, sort, I sort of agree with that. I, I think when not just even how long they've been making cars, but also just the number of cars they've made in that time span. I mean, the Roadster was a very, very small number of cars, and then you started seeing the S's and the X's come out, and now we're seeing the very first major production vehicle in the Model 3. So so they're, they're slowly kind of growing into the idea of actually having a mass-produced vehicle in the market, where these other manufacturers have been doing it for decades upon decades. So it's easy to see where Tesla's sort of having those growing pains of now becoming a major car manufacturer. But to me, when you're talking about EVs, when you're talking about a revolution, it starts with the technology. And when Monroe is basically saying this computer, this chip, the processor inside this vehicle is 
is scaring people. It's really changing the way we think about electric vehicles. Yeah. It sort of it sort of takes the dinosaur tech comment and says, "All right, well, that's it's not. They're not perfect. There's things they're going to learn. But oh my God, this other thing! Watch out, everybody. They're they're doing something that's going to change the way we think of the automotive industry, <clears throat> and and that's not something I think we can take lightly. No, absolutely. Uh, I think part of the other thing too is that um, I think. People are kind of losing focus. You know, they're looking at the at the trees rather than the whole forest. I mean, Tesla is a relatively new ma- manufacturer. They've been making cars. I mean, they've only been in business for 15 years, making cars really, you know, five years on their own. The Roadster, you kind of have to set it aside because they were just doing assembly. They weren't doing natural manufacturing um, of, of, of the body itself and stuff. Um, so I think what's happening here is that, you know, Tesla's experience and growth is is being compressed into 15 years and other manufacturers have been doing this for decades 100 years whatever the case may be so you know you have to give them a little bit of slack and sometimes but it just seems like because they've grown into this large um uh, what's the word i'm looking for uh cachet kind of uh name brand kind of vehicle or, or company that people are just kind of setting them up on on a pedestal and you know, of course, their business model was always, you know, let's start at the high end and then work our way down. And that's a sound business model from a, a startup's perspective, um, especially in the automotive business, because it's very capital intensive to get into. Um, but if if you're positioning yourself as, as a premium automaker, um, there's certain things that have to come along for that. And then Tesla is still suffering from some growing pains, I think, uh, particularly in the service department area. That, uh, you know, with this advent of the Model 3, they just don't have enough service areas. So I'm glad to hear that the quality is good uh, for the most part. But when they have issues, what kind of wait times are we going to see? I mean, we're seeing reports. I mean, I just got a report from somebody on Twitter privately. They said that uh, uh, he had a problem um, I forget what it was. I don't have it in front of me here. Uh, something about a bumper or whatever. But he's not going to have the car for three or four weeks because they just don't have the parts. So that worries me a little bit. And I'm hoping that Tesla fixes that as soon as possible before too many of these cars get into people's uh, um, uh, hands. So any uh, any comments on that? Uh, well, I would just add just uh, my dad also has a, a Model S 75 uh, with the mustache. So, so pretty recent. Um, just looking at the evolution from that car to my car is pretty incredible. Now, don't get me wrong. I love his car. I would take his car. Um, <laughs> but just little things that they figured out along the way. He's got the next-gen seats. If I'm wearing a watch, I can't really move the seat well. Like, it's, it's too tough to get your hand in yeah, it's tight, to move the yeah. seat or the, uh, the, uh, the visor doesn't have a light in it. So just little things that they've figured out and picked up along the way, I think have been uh, – have made a big difference, um, but I, I think they have nowhere to go but up. Uh, I'm I'm excited to see the Model Y, probably <laughs> my wife's next car. So I want to see it sooner rather than later. But I, I think just each next car we see, they're just going to get better and better and better. And already, obviously, we're fanboys, so so I'm, I feel fine saying this, but <laughs> I'm blind to other cars on the road. I, I, all I see is the Model Three right now, or, or, or Model X, Model S, and, and Roadsters, mm-hmm. but. Um, it, they just need to make more cars because I need to figure out what my next car will be, however many years <laughs> later. <laughs> and, to, and to kind of, if I may, to piggyback on that point, Michael, is that we're also seeing a lot of the tech and the design of the Model 3 now kind of creeping their way into the next iterations of the S and X, hopefully, and with the semi. I mean, we saw the dash of the semi, how minimalistic it was Absolutely. for a semi truck. And a lot of that is because of what Model 3 has created. So I think as think as as they become more and more entrenched as a car manufacturer and as more of that design studio team puts out the product they're putting out there, um, we're going to see the cars continue to evolve. And it would, to me, it wouldn't be long, I think, before other auto manufacturers, whether they're EVs or not, take a lot of what tesla's done with their design and go you know we're gonna we're gonna use some of that because apparently there's that insatiable need to have that in cars now maybe less is more is what we're gonna start seeing the model s for four days and uh, i was driving it around loved the car but i noticed i didn't like having something in front of the steering wheel uh i like the center (laughs) screen really for the longest time on, on the forum the big question was Will it have a HUD? We're, we don't like not having something in front of us. If it doesn't have a HUD, I don't want it. Uh-huh. Oh, I, I am guess. so in love with this center screen now mm-hmm. that if I see something in front of me, I don't I don't want to look at it. 
Um, so I, I do see that change probably probably coming, like like you mentioned with the semi and seeing the the way the roadsters kind of laid out with the dash. But it, it's really transformed my vision and how I like to look at and, and sit in a car with no buttons and kind of nothing in front of me. I really really like it, especially I, I, yeah. at night. I agree with you 100. percent I was just thinking the same thing today when I was driving home. I was I was just looking at the center screen, and even though it's the vertical screen, I thought. Man, I could never go back to anything with buttons. It's just, this is just so nice. It's like, you know, and we're starting to see it now. We're starting to see the other manufacturers, you know. I, you know, you drive past and you, you'll see a, like a, an Acura go by or a BMW or Mercedes. And they all have that little pop-up screen now. They're all kind of doing that. They just need to, you know, to stretch it and stuff. So I think in a lot of ways what we're seeing with Tesla is um, some of their design cues are going to start infiltrating the rest of the industry in, in some respects. Now, the industry might be a little bit different. I, I usually compare it to the cell phone business because prior to the iPhone, for example, everything had buttons and flip screens and all the other stuff. And, and today, everything's an iPhone. They all look the same now. So it's kind of hard to differentiate them. So I think in some ways, the automotive business might take some cues from what Tesla's doing. And you're absolutely right, Mike, that as soon as I saw the Tesla Semi and I saw that interior, I said... Yeah, we know what uh, what's coming down the line for the rest of the products. Of course, we saw the Roadster too, but the Roadster even has this even more austere, futuristic design. You know, steering wheel outside, uh, but you know that that slit that you know, and uh, you know the creature comforts. Of course, on the Model Three, we started seeing some of that stuff put in the Model X, specifically the um, uh, the pockets in the doors, of course. So, you know, now you have code hooks and, and the usual pockets behind the doors and stuff. So that's some of the stuff we're going to um, make its way into the Model S and, and the X eventually. They're not happenstance. I think what, what we've gotten grown to is that we see like a lot of parents who have young kids and the kids can just grab the parents iPhone or iPod or whatever. And they just start touching it. And all of a sudden they just they can get in and they open apps and they do these various things. And the parents go, I don't understand how my kid can do it. Well, humans are known for taptic connections. We're known, we're known for reaching out and touching things. Our sensory perception is to absorb the world around us and learn it by touching, tasting, feeling, that sort of thing. So I think what, what Tales has done is basically saying, well, we understand our basic human need is to touch, to contact things. And the idea of dials and mo buttons and all kinds of weird stuff is sort of very blasé. We're going to revolutionize that by doing the thing that we've always been doing, which is taking our mobile devices, using these screens and saying, OK, let's let's now put that into a vehicle and all and to take the S and X design and say, okay, you guys have had two screens before with information. We're going to condense it down to the one and we think we're going to design it in a way where everything you need to see and need to access is really within a matter of two or three touches and you're there. And I mean, I know when I first got the car, it took me about an hour or so to understand where everything was in the menu, to understand how to get there. But once after that hour passed by, I mean, it's it's bep bep. It's it's quick contacts. It's very accessible stuff. And for the most part, I only touch really three things. Um, I'm touching the stick to activate uh, tack or autopilot. Um, I might be controlling the radio station and, and changing the station, or I'm playing with the AC. That's about it. Most everything else is kind of just good to go for as long as I enjoy the ride. Um, but again, all, all made easy by just having it in one central hub versus having it scattered throughout my entire dashboard. Yeah, I agree 100%. There's a lot of things about the Model 3 that are really quite nice. I mean, there are some compromises. When you take away one screen, you have to condense some stuff. But one of the things I really like about the Model 3 is when you go into the settings, it's it's so much better laid out. It's so much more logical. Like I, I still go on my screen. I've had the car almost five months now. And whenever I go to settings, I'm always hunting and pecking, trying to find things. It's like, it, it drives me crazy. So I'm, I'm hoping that some of that design ethos that they've done on the Model 3 comes to the rest of the product line. I would hope so in due time anyways. So um, it's quite interesting. Um, Ian, any comments, uh, you know, being, being the odd man out? <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose. Oh, Ian. Yeah, that's it. It's like one day, one day I'll know what it's like to swipe. Um, well, I think it's no, important I, for people to remember that you're yeah. you're waiting for the performance car. Yeah, I'm going to be the last man standing. It's like, God, oh, they haven't even said a word. The only thing we know about this car is, A, there was a tweet last year about the ludicrous button that Elon said, yes, 
That was it. Mm-hmm. That's the last, last official word. And then, yes, I think it was at Thunder Hill Raceway that um, one of the guys on TMC who also came in on, on M3OC and uh, and told us, yes, I saw it. It's there. He even got a picture underneath, right, of the, of the front axle and suspension assembly where we saw the airbag and, like, the front axle, the all-wheel drive. He confirmed it's got the big brakes. So we know those cars physically exist. Yes. And I actually, I cannot divulge anything else but i did talk to a person who also saw the car and apparently was in it and said yeah it's it's very 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 real so that gives me hope uh but i won't go on and on about how long and how painful this is going to be to wait for let's come back to your original (laughs) question um yeah i i've been lucky enough to rent a couple of model s's when i went did in fact the factory tour last year i spent two days in one which is a glorious experience and um I very easily got used to the S because the S is a perfect transition car, you know, with the center stack and the dash layout, you know, with the stuff in front of you, it doesn't take too long to get used to it. And I found it fairly intuitive after, you know, pecking around for a little bit to get most of the major stuff going. Um, I only spent a whole 30 minutes driving the three and that's when uh, Yo-Yo Shea came to town and that's how we got the chance to measure the car and scan it for wheel fitment and everything. And uh, then he let me drive about halfway to Ottawa but I mean, yeah, that was fantastic. At least I had some seat time in the thing and I, I got to confirm a bunch of things that I wanted to know. And I have to say, I was not super focused on the screen. Um, the only mm-hmm. thing I used it for was occasionally to access the wipers, uh, which I found a little goofy, but I guess you get used to. Uh, and at that point, you couldn't do any of the speed adjustments on the, uh, on the cruise control on the wheel at that point you were still doing it on on the screen and that was also not intuitive but i understand now that you can use the scroll wheels for that so yes. I, I think that that yeah. yeah that that would get rid of any of the apprehension i have on that stuff so uh but yeah in terms of the visibility i i mean I, i'm with you guys that are driving it now within 15 minutes of driving it it was like you got to just enjoy the fact that it's clear road right out the front and mm-hmm. one thing I've heard from a few people, I don't know if you guys will concur, is it's really cool at night because there's nothing, there's no bright lights in your face. Yes. You have better view of the road because there's nothing immediately there in your field of view. And the screen is dim enough the, in the night mode that you really have an excellent view of, of what's outside. Um, so that I'm looking forward to, uh, especially as I like to do a, a lot of um, rallying in the winter. And it, vision is critical like i mean you know you're 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 going 80 90 kilometers an hour on these tiny little icy roads and being mm-hmm. able to spot stuff in the difference you know like to keep your eyes adjusted to the outside light uh, i think it's going to be a great car for that mm-hmm. yeah i think t- two comments on that one is i i've had night vision issues for some time uh, i wear glasses uh for the most part to have to drive at night and when I have those LED lamps, and because of the way the car sits, because of the way the lights project in the street, I mean, it's it's a broader range of of lighting. So I certainly see more of the road um, without high beams on, and it's just as clear as day. And because of the view of the window, because of how it, the hood slopes down, and I think Trevor's mentioned this before, that for most people who sit in the driver's seat, you're basically not seeing any part of the hood at all from, from your front seat's perspective. So that being said... Um, the, the other thing too, is not having that display right in front. I remember where the first time I drove at night, it was on, uh, the first, it was the first Wednesday after I got the car and I'm like, I have to drive at night. I want to get this out there. I want to go for a charge. I want to drive around. And I remember I felt like a kid on Christmas morning, just giddy <laughs> as hell because it was like, this is the most surreal thing. Like I've heard people talk about it, how, how amazing the experience is, but to finally see it for myself was like, this is the coolest thing. And so, <laughs> Uh, so, so I still now want to drive at night. I'm actually glad now, you know, I'm going to be able to work at night sometimes and be like, all right, this is what it feels like. Um, but it is, it is for, for people who want to have a, just a, a clear view of the road to your point, Ian, it literally creates that safer feel. Um, you know, even if it is only just for a moment, cause you don't think about it after you start the car, it's just nice that it's there because it really gives you a better, you're really able to focus on what's on the road in front of you versus what's on the dash. Uh, beneath your hands nice i'll throw in a couple two cents i've i've been you know privileged to have driven all three variants of tesla's current cars never the roadster mind you um and i get questions a lot uh, from people saying you know how easy is it to get into the model 3 compared to an s or an x and you know it's it's like the model 3 to me is like you know the three bears you know this one's too hard this one's too soft this one's just right the Model 3 just feels like 
it, it just feels right. Like the visibility out of the car is like halfway between the S and the X. And that's kind of a combination of, you know, the, 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 the windshield being pushed so much more forward, you know, the dash being lower and pushed forward, the glass over your head, um, you know, being a smaller, a little bit more nimble car. Um, I noticed on the Model 3, it doesn't have that big rail. Like when you open the door on the Model S, there's a big fat rail and it seems to scoop down quite a bit lower. So I find getting in and out of the Model 3 is so much easier than the S. You know, the Model X is a different animal altogether because it's so much higher being an SUV and so on and so forth. But I think for for people that, and I had this conversation the other night too at a, um, at a, an, an EV meetup where an elderly gentleman approached me and he says, look, I'm, I'm having, you know, I'm starting to have some mobility issues and so is my wife and so on and so forth. What do you think? What car should I should I be looking at? And I said, well, you need to make that decision for yourself, but... Uh, if I was looking at a car, I would take a very good close uh, look at a Model 3 or an X if it if you feel that the, the S is just too low to the ground. So, uh, you know, he'll have an opportunity to take a look at that. So that's just kind of my feeling about the car. I mean, you know. On a showroom Model S trying to get in the car because <laughs> uh, the person before had kind of moved the 12-way seat kind of really higher up to see over the windshield. And uh, when I'm like, oh, I'll get in and sit down for a second. And as soon as I sat down, I'm like, my head just went thunk right into the uh, the frame of the car. Um, it wasn't, well, I don't wasn't think that's any fault of the car. That's just because of no, the showroom uh, car. But, but, yeah. Um, but that was like, that's kind of not a way you want to start your experience. But then once, <laughs> once I adjusted the seat, I'm like, it was, it was honestly a, a great feel. And I, and I've, and I've sat like at a Mazda Miata where like, you want to know what a low car is. That yeah, pretty yeah. much is like running on the ground. Um, but no, I, I, you know, I think to your point, having, having seen people get into the showroom vehicles for an S and an X, the one thing that people love about the X, particularly when it comes to the, the Falcon wing doors is just exactly how easy it is for anybody with any mobility problem to get in and out of that car, except for maybe the height adjustment. Um, what, it, what a lot of people do love about the S is that if they do like at least feeling lower to the ground, having a, a sense of really kind of being closer to the road, uh, it, it certainly provides that. I, for one, went from a subcompact car with just huge views all around me with the windshield and the windows uh, to then getting into now with speed. And I've, I've certainly adjusted where my blind spots and stuff are. Um, but to your point, I, I, for me, and this is just my own opinion, I, I love the view of the three better than the S. Um, but I also can see where if I had given more time, I could also adjust to the S all the same. But when you're going from a subcompact, again, with large panoramic windows to basically a Model S where the windows are, are certainly a lot more uh, confined to the vehicle, it, it can throw some people off. Yeah, that's good. Well, uh, we're getting close to the top of the hour, so I think what we need to do is um, I think we're going to close with some little tidbits of information here because Model 3s have uh, started arriving in Toronto. And uh, yeah, VIN numbers have been assigned, so there was lots of activity about that. And um, yeah, I was very fortunate to uh, to go out yesterday, and uh, I here I'll show you a picture. That's my ugly mug, and uh, we had about <laughs> seventeen sitting on a uh, Tesla um, holding lot. And um, now, of course. The general location of this place is kind of known in the area, so I'm not going to divulge it, but it's not cool to go there. I just went there for 60 seconds, took a quick snapshot and a quick video, and I was out of there. Um, but I just wanted to let everybody know that uh, this is definitely happening. And uh, tomorrow, I'm very fortunate to uh, to go down and actually film the what I believe is to be the very first Model 3 uh, being delivered in Canada. So uh, one of the owners uh, reached out to me, and he says, uh, I was told I'm the first. So, uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a huge pent-up demand for, uh, for Model, for Model 3 um, in Canada. And, um, <laughs> well, I was, I was told um, by uh, Paul Carter, he runs the uh, Model3Tracker.info um, website, um, and I do believe, and I haven't looked at it recently, so don't quote me on this, but I do believe that, uh, Ontario, Toronto area really is the second largest res reservation uh, stronghold of anywhere in North America. And that doesn't surprise me in the least. Uh, there are tons and tons of, of, of Teslas in, in, in the GTA area. So, uh, so it's very encouraging to finally see Model 3s arrive um, here. Uh, I, you know, I'll be honest, um, th they're arriving a little sooner than I expected. Um, when I did, yeah, when, when I did my lease on the, uh, on the Lincoln, um, 
I kind of timed my lease to try and expire in April of this year, thinking, well, we'll give Tesla, you know, an extra nine or 10 months to get their you-know-what together. And then, of course, you know, with all the uh, production delays we kept hearing about, uh, I was like, well, I guess it's not really going to happen for me. And then, of course, one thing led to another, and then I decided, you know what, I really should get what better fits my needs, at least for the short term. We'll hold on to the Model 3 reservation, and maybe we'll look at the uh, standard range when it comes out more for my wife. And then, lo and behold, here we are, you know, coming in May, and we're starting to, to, to see the first deliveries. And honestly, I wasn't expecting to see anything until you know, really later in the year based on and their initial projections. So it's very encouraging. So, um, and I did get reports that uh, some people in Montreal and Vancouver, um, which are all their, you know, fairly large strongholds, because you have to remember in Canada, we don't have that many showrooms. I mean, we have Montreal, Vancouver, Toronto, Calgary, and that's it. Um, so, you know, for a large, large, you know, country like ours, that's not a lot of uh, service centers and showrooms. So that's where all the reservations are keyed. And of course, uh, witness here in Toronto, we've seen, you know, eight or nine supercharger locations go up in the last six or seven months. So uh, that growth is really representative of where the Model 3 is really lying in here. And that's where Tesla's putting their, their energies. So seeing them now, uh, we're going to, we're going to see a lot of cars in the next uh, little while. And I just... Someone told me today that an, another shipment arrived in Toronto, so I don't know how many are actually there, but uh, we're going to start seeing ramping up. So I've been told that the first handful of deliveries are really going to happen at the at the local showrooms, and then in June when the deliveries really start ramping up, they're going to go to the uh, international center, which is you know down by the airport. That's where I took uh, uh, delivery of my car because it's much better suited for holding cars and doing mm-hmm. you know six or seven, twelve deliveries all at once. So it's quite encouraging, and I look forward to that. If I may ask, do you suspect these are more for existing Tesla owners, or do you think there are some first-time owners getting a Model well, 3? Well, uh, that's a that's a really good question. I will tell you right now, the first delivery tomorrow, and this may upset a lot of people, is going to a uh, non-current owner. It's just going to somebody who... Um, the one observation is that uh, no VINs in Ontario have been assigned for anybody that, uh, that ordered uh, 19-inch wheels. It's all the standard aero wheels. I don't know why. I don't know if it's a shortage or what what's going on. So it looks like it's early people. And, and oh, I just got a report. A friend of mine told me today over private messaging. And um, Ian, when we were in, um, do you remember uh, Peter and Suzanne? Uh, Peter and Suzanne, jog my memory. Mm, older, cu- older couple, <laughs> um, have a Chevy Bolt. We're very excited to get a uh, Model 3 reservation. And they were sitting at the table at dinner and they said, Hey, yes, our, our, yes, yes, yes. Okay, so they place their order, and they're taking delivery on Monday. Really? Yeah, so they're non-current orders either. So... Trev, the way I've been watching the production batches roll, it would seem that they like to build one particular configuration at a time. Like, when mm-hmm. you see them in the production shots, like, if they're doing Midnight Silver 18-inch, that's what they're doing. And like you just see all the same color car go down the line, all 18-inch wheels. And then it'll be another color, all 19-inch sport wheels, you know. So they seem to like to group them by exact configuration. Now, I, I could be completely in the weeds on that. But by judging just by some of the videos and pictures I've seen, that seems to be what's going on. So maybe it so happens that the first few trailer loads that left the factory for Canada all happen to be 18-inch configuration. I'm, I'm, that's a guess. I'm just pulling that out, you know. But. <laughs> well, you had me in midnight silver clubs i'm just throwing it out there we well that's that's, that's three of us and i gotta say we're gonna have to go easy on that because people are gonna get real tired of what are these guys always talking about the gray isn't there any other color no there isn't gray there's is only the, midnight silver gray's Hi-ho, the new- midnight silver away <laughs> gray's the new blue you know you know all the other manufacturers are putting out blue cars everybody's blue cars well tesla is like gray is the blue you know that's what everybody wants I, i'm not denigrating blue don't get me wrong interesting less um silver seems to be the least popular color because we all lost. you know what it is though they teased us with that gorgeous hyper silver color <laughs> the prototype which was <laughs> stunning i mean i'd stare at that as my screensaver all day long it, yeah, and then when the regular, yeah uh, we I, all knew I, that that wasn't going to be a real color I was, because I, was, I mean i agree with you i saw it in person yeah yeah it's, yeah, it's yeah. Gorgeous. the minute i saw it yeah Speaking of color, interesting. So the uh, Tesla put out a promo video yesterday, their quarterly all hands video. I was going to mention uh, and that. real quick, 
There was going to say, there's that all matte black uh, version of the Model 3 that was inside that uh, kind of like a warehouse, empty warehouse. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm wondering if they're going to now bring that back for perhaps a performance version of the vehicle uh, that we saw at the original unveiling in 2016. Well, there was a lot of talk about that originally when, um, you know, when they when they did the original reveal and Elon, you know, was tweeting the first tweet storm, of course, and people were saying, that's a cool color. You know, are you going to bring it to production? Elon said, yeah, it seems to be quite popular. We might consider that. The, the thing, though, is, is that if you've never experienced a car with a matte finish, and it's not the paint, it's the clear coat, uh, they're notoriously uh, persnickety to take care of. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> look, look, do that again, Ian, so everybody can see. Yeah, don't, don't yes, go there. Yeah. No, I, I have um, on a, a Blackbird sport bike that I painted matte black to match the plane of its namesake. So it looks like mm -hmm. an SR71 color. I painted it with the red trim yep. and it's horrific. I mean, you can't do anything if it's if you if I mean a bird craps on it or whatever, you can't polish it. You can't touch it up. You can do nothing to it. Just the very act of washing it starts to develop these little glossy spots. It's yeah. it's mm. the most horrific finish to maintain. Yeah. And I know other manufacturers who've offered matte finishes, like BMW's done it on um, special versions of the M3. Frost. Yeah, they all have their own funky name for it. But uh, even Hyundai did a special edition Veloster with that color. And you have to sign all these waiver forms saying you're not responsible. They're, they're not responsible for anything. Like, don't come back to us with anything to do with a finish issue because we're not going to talk to you. You're, you're completely on your own. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a pretty bad color well, to, be, to be dealing with. Yeah, go ahead, Mike take us down a tangent but ian you're you're spot on with the batching uh in my experience when i configured i got a vin within 30 minutes uh we've seen some people waiting three weeks four weeks five weeks six weeks so it's all about kind of the luck of the draw when you configure which car came out of the batch and and you can get lucky and get it really quick or it could take a little while but um uh yeah I, it, it's an interesting thing i noticed that elon had tweeted some someone tweeted to elon and said you know, what's going on? I'm an owner or I'm an early reservation and I'm seeing people who were online reservations getting ahead of me. So I thought it was interesting, you know, not, like I said, not to take us down another tangent, but what other CEO would say, yeah, we messed up. Uh, we did not follow the order we said we were going to. I'm personally mm -hmm. looking into it. Maybe the same thing happened again in Canada a little bit. Uh, that You know, it, it should be all current owners. And I'm sure some current owner wanted arrow wheels. It's not like they're all going to get 19. So something maybe went wrong a little bit at the end of the day we're all going to get cars everyone's going to get cars um but the fact that he could admit that something didn't go exactly right and can look into it i think that tells a lot about this company any other ceo probably isn't on twitter probably isn't answering uh, customers tweets and uh, i i love that about the company that even when there's a little mistake like that it's there's transparency and they're, they're going to fix mm -hmm. it and take care of it so yeah absolutely Good to know. Yeah, and, and to give context, Michael, for you, you had your VIN within 30 minutes. I received the email to order my car on February 22nd. I didn't receive my VIN after placing the order for about a month. Um, and then I received delivery of my car on April 27th. So about eight weeks of time passed between email to delivery. Uh, so, you know, it, it certainly can vary. My Apparently, my Midnight Silver just wasn't ready yet. It needed the final touches for a month or so. <laughs> But uh, it's, you know, patience is a virtue. And, I, you know, I know a lot of people are waiting on their cars very patiently, especially for certain uh, versions of the car. Um, trust me, folks, they're, the numbers are going to get there. You'll eventually get your car. Uh, I, if I can wait two months, you know, it makes the two years seem like nothing. So we're, we'll be fine. Excellent. Well, I think that's uh, the top of the hour, folks. I think we should sign off. Um, so uh, and not in any particular order, uh, let's go with Ian. Uh, where can people reach you on the Internet if they want to hang out with you on the forum or on Twitter or whatever social media you're at? Give yourself a plug. Uh, there are three possibilities. The primary one being uh, Model 3 Owners Club. You will find me under the uh, handle Mad Hungarian. Uh, my specialty there is wheels and tires. So if you have questions at all, please uh, come one, come all. I'm happy to answer them. That's about the only thing I'm an authority on when it comes to Model 3s at this point. <laughs> uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. Um, it's uh, at Ian Pavelko. Um, maybe at some point, Trev, you can add that uh, in the, the notes or something afterwards when this goes to report. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, that's it. And um, I also have the Facebook with uh, with my name is uh, that. I'm not so much active on there. It's mostly my personal stuff. But hey, what the hell? If you want to throw a shout out, I will get in one shameless plug though, which yes. everyone must be sick of at this point. You know where I'm going with this? It's uh huh. Love my shirt. The fundraiser shirt. Yes, yes, yes. Trev has one, and uh, we got to get you guys some. 
but uh, yeah, this this is a little project that I started uh, a few years back when I camped out um, to get, be first in the door in Montreal, and I had a tent with the same logo on it, and it, it just went viral, and everybody loved it. So I thought, you know what, let's do something fun with it. So I started a fundraiser on Teespring, and uh, every one of these that we sell, um, about $6, which is almost all the profit in it, goes to uh, Electromobility Canada, Plug-in America in the U.S., and my, my homeboys here in Quebec, um, LAVEC, Association de Véhicules Électriques de Québec. So it's for a good cause and you can show people your hip and uh and there's there's four different versions you can get model three model s uh, model x and i even did a roadster so roadster people don't let me hear you say you've been always left out okay yeah, don't leave so they're, they're there so yeah you, you can go to teespring teespring.com and uh, just look up bad hungarian evolve shirt you'll find that uh, I'll, I'll try and remember put a link in the uh, in the show description so yes thanks uh ian how about you eric uh, where can people find you on the interwebs so um, I'm certainly findable on Facebook, um, but the easiest thing, the best thing to get a hold of me is on Twitter at ECFIX. That's just E-C-F-I-X on Twitter. Uh, feel free to, I appreciate all the new followers I've had there. Uh, but if you follow any of these guys, you'll see me there too. But uh, Twitter's the, tw tw Twitter is, see, I can't. This is the hardest <coughs> thing. Twitter is the <laughs> best way uh, to get a hold of me, uh, ECFIX. Excellent. Okay, how about you, Michael? Not, uh, not least, not little, not least. Tell us about uh, your your situation. Uh, Where can people reach you? You could find me on Trevor's Model 3 Owners Club forum. Uh, SoFla Model 3, I'm one of the moderators on the forum. And on Thank Twitter, Michael R. Oh, absolutely, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter, at Michael R. Bodner, just like Eric, if you're following Trevor, you're going to find me. I think I reply or retweet <laughs> everything Trevor puts out there. And uh, yes. We're all guilty of that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And last thing I'll say, uh, it's not a plug for me, it's a plug for Trevor. Uh, I just want to say thank you very much for having me as uh, a part of this podcast and also for helping me get through two years of waiting, uh, <laughs> joining me at my delivery, just your friendship, your your tweets, your posts, all of the efforts you do. I don't think anyone realizes how much time you spend thinking about Tesla electric vehicles and everything in between that goes with it. But uh, just thank you for everything you do and, and for allowing me to be a part of it. Oh, you're making me feel a little funny. <laughs> Oh, well, anyways, I want to say a big thanks to all of my guests. I want to say thank you to Ian Pavalko, Eric Camacho, and Michael Bodner for uh, joining us tonight. And uh, we will uh, reach you out again next week. And we're going to try and make this every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, or wherever you happen to be in the rest of the world. We hope that you uh, join us for the next podcast. And uh, we will mix up the guests a little bit in the future. We'll have some uh, special people coming in and... Uh, We'll, uh, we'll mix it up a little bit. Anyway, I want to say thank you for everybody. And uh, don't forget, you can uh, follow me on Twitter. My handle's at Model3Owners. Our website is Model3OwnersClub.com. And if you like the video, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe because uh, all that stuff matters because it gets the word out for everybody to participate. And lastly, if you'd like uh, to support the channel and uh, keep this thing going because software costs money and hard drives are a fortune, uh, we appreciate you if you take a look at our Patreon page. And you can find that at Patreon.com forward slash model three owners club anyhow with that i want to say thank you to everybody for joining the panel again and uh, we will catch you next week so thanks folks and uh, we'll catch you on the next one see you later All far. take care thanks everyone